0: I love it. You asked Sophia what she would change about her early days, and she says no. What should everybody else change about their approach? I got this thing down. This is good.
1: Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Out there on the webs, there's so much talk about having to build an audience that can be hundreds or thousands of people in order to sell stuff to. And the fact is, when you're getting started, you don't have that audience, and that audience can cost a lot to create, and you might end up with the wrong audience. That's why on this show, we've talked time and time again of, why don't you start with 10 true clients and yesterday we met a podcast listener who said hey that's exactly what I did and just over two years later well before the thousand day principle I've got a six figure run rate business.
0: Sophia replaced her income and built a team much faster than we've done. So there are
1: smarter people out there than us, Dan. I'm very impressed by that. So where are we right now? We're in Barcelona, which is one of the two places in the world that I instantly fell in love with. I'm sure it's annoying for you to be around me this week because I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's another thing that's so amazing about Barcelona. But it really is an amazing place for me. The only other place that's made me feel this way instantly, Bali. Both start with bees. Both start with bees. One of the cool things that I like about the city
0: a lot is that you can literally be dropped anywhere in the city and bump into interesting things. So, tapas bars, monuments, people. It's like, it's a very
1: accessible city. It's beautiful. You can ride your bike anywhere. There's the beach, which is insanely gorgeous. There's all kinds of places near you. Go to go do a weekend in Paris or Lisbon or hang out on the Mediterranean. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good spot. But we're not here just to play around, Dan. We just got done with
0: our event. So we had DCBCN, which is Dynamite Circle, in Barcelona. How many
1: people came? About 100 people came. I think 100 registrants. Had a blast. And so Sophia was one of the people that came to this event. Came here on the strength of a recommendation from Alyssa Doucette from Craft Your Company content.com. Big shout out to Alyssa. Thanks for referring Sophia to the DC. Thank you very much, Alyssa. And one of the things I want to point out about why Sophia was
0: on the podcast today was because she went for it. A lot of times around these events, either before or after DC events, DCers will self-organize and they'll create lunches. They'll create e-commerce meetups. I know that there was an Amazon meetup. And one of the events that happened after
1: DCBCN was just a very informal lunch. So I'm sitting there getting nervous because we're having one of these long European lunches. And as an American, I'm thinking, I got to get back to work. And one of the things that was on my mind was we got to record a podcast this week, buddy. And I'm sitting next to Sophia and she's telling me the story of her business and just boom, everything fell in line. I saw the future and we made it happen here today. So basically
0: we were expressing our fears about the podcast being due in 24 hours. We were looking around the table, who can help us solve this problem? (laughs) But I think Sophia was a great choice. She really did a good job explaining her business. And I think that she's one of these people that just goes for it. And I think she went for it in the lunch, you know, she just showed up to this lunch unannounced, which was very cool. We all did.
1: And she went for it in her business business and she's going to teach you all how she did that you can find links to Sophia's website gen y planning plus the whole series of episodes that's relevant to 10 true clients we've probably done a handful now we'll link to all of those and everything else we've mentioned on this show at this blog post tropicalmba.com slash 10 true
2: my 29th birthday. It was February and I knew that I was going to quit my job at a startup because I was working crazy hours and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I started interviewing at local financial planning firms. I just wasn't excited about it at all. And helping rich old white dudes get richer wasn't really thrilling for me. So I went out with my mentor and he said to me, you know, what's your other idea? And I said, you know, I really want to start a financial planning company that's geared towards helping people in their 20s and 30s. And he said, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I started giving all these excuses. Then he immediately stopped me and said, No, Sophia, the worst thing that can happen is you'll have to get a job in financial planning. Which is exactly what you're thinking about doing right now.
1: You basically picked a fight with your industry. And I think it's interesting because you felt something about the way that financial planners operated from your experience that you fundamentally disagreed with. So take me back to that process of like what you saw that was, you know, didn't resonate with you and why you thought that was an opportunity for you.
2: So, one thing that financial planners typically do is they charge on assets under management, and you have to have a minimum of, let's say, half a million, a million, sometimes two million in order for financial planners to work with you because they charge on a percentage of assets. So that's how they get paid. So financial planners kept telling me that, oh, you can't work with young people because they don't have enough money yet. And to me, the problem wasn't a them problem. It was an us problem of we as financial planners hadn't figured out how to charge yet to build a profitable business model working with young clients.
0: So you've got all these clients and they're basically saying, well, I got to wait 20 years before I can have a financial planner. And you're saying, no, that's not the way that it has to work for you. I can help you today.
2: Exactly. That's
0: a very interesting shift that you made. And that's one that I think you made for the industry, it seems like. I mean, you're telling us how you're getting all this press now and people are attracted to you and you've really shaken some shit up, right?
2: Well, it's exciting. I mean, I was by no means the first one, but I think there was a handful of us that all started getting these ideas at the same time, but we all kind of felt like we were on islands, right? Because we didn't know each other. We didn't know that other people were starting to do this, but slowly more and more financial planners were realizing, hey, I want to help clients that are making good money, but don't have the assets built up yet. I can do that if I charge on a monthly retainer. And so, you know, a bunch of us kind of started doing that and then we started networking with each other and figuring out, hey, how can we make this more profitable. How can we help each other do this?
1: You and I have talked about this. You're doing like a pivot. You're picking a fight with these people and trusting your instinct about maybe what's wrong with the market. But the next thing you have to decide to do is how do I go after this? What are the models that I could explore? What were some of the first ideas that you thought of? Because I know eventually you ended up at a 10 true clients business model. So was there anything previous to that that you thought about?
2: I thought about a couple different things. I thought about, okay, can I do this within my current firm? So some financial planning firms now are letting their younger planners, you know, create a Gen X, Gen Y business model within the firm. But at the firm that I was at, that wasn't going to work for me.
0: They're afraid these jerks like you are going to run off and start their own business. Exactly. And steal
2: all their clients, right? Right. And then I tried at a startup to be able to, you know, work with young clients, but I didn't have control over the process. Our phone calls were limited to a half hour and I knew my clients wanted to talk to me for an hour, an hour and a half to really get into the details of their financial situation. So I started looking at these things that I had taken, you know, from previous jobs and then looking at what was going on right now, you know, that my personal blogger friends were doing, which is they were creating great content and they were coming at things from an educational perspective and they had thousands of people on their newsletter list. So I thought, hmm, that's really interesting. Maybe I could do an ebook or build a product around that, but you need so many people to buy that course or you need so many people to buy that ebook that after listening to the episode that you guys had on 10 true clients, I realized, hey, I want to start at the top and and build this out. So I really want to learn from people one-on-one what are the same questions that are coming up over and over and over again working with younger clients and how can I take that information and create better blog posts on my website and better articles and really build something that is geared towards helping a younger demographic. So I loved this idea of 10 true clients because it was getting 10 clients at a higher price point and basically learning a ton from them. If you have 10 clients that are bringing in, you know, $1,000 each, that's $10,000 a month. That's over a hundred grand a year that you could be making by working with 10 true clients. And granted, my rates aren't at that level yet, but I knew that I wanted to go start at the higher price point point. And build out because if I had a thousand true fans, which was another episode that you did, but you're only charging $10 for each of those clients, you need thousands of people if you're only selling a $10 product
0: your backstory is interesting for me, especially Sophia, because I, I picked a fight and then we started this business and that's kind of what gave me the confidence to go after these first customers or clients. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you told us how you picked the fight and what you wanted to change in the industry. How did you find these first couple clients?
2: It was interesting. My first client was a referral from somebody else in the profession and so that was interesting because I didn't anticipate getting referrals from other financial planners right
1: because it's worth mentioning that other financial planners thought that this was a bad idea right
2: yes a lot of financial planners thought you're never going to make any money working with young people and you're just going to work with everyone aren't you like what if a million dollar client walks in your door you're just going to take them right
1: you won't stick to your guns kind of thing
2: right And I really have stuck to working with people that are within 10 years of my age. So I'm 31 and all my clients are in their mid-20s to their early 40s.
0: So the first person was a referral in the industry. Yeah. Was it from another certified financial planner?
2: It was, yeah. And then the second person found me from an article that was written on a website called moneyunder30.com where I was named one of the top financial advisors for millennials. And then I really started getting more press by networking with other writers that I knew and they would come to me because... I had kind of this unique angle on working with younger clients,
0: right? You actually had an interesting story. And I think that's what people don't understand about press a lot of times, right? You actually have to have something interesting for people to talk about. They're like, why aren't I getting written up in Forbes 10 times? You got written up 10 times. You said something like that in the last year or two. It's like, why isn't that happening to me? It's because you don't have an interesting story and you really have an interesting take on this. And so that's the reason for you why this is working out.
2: I tried to be really helpful for them, right? So they'd call, I'd answer my phone. They would. Say, hey, can I interview you about student loans? Absolutely. Let's do that. Let's set up a call or let's talk right now. Or they'd shoot me an email and say, hey, Sophia, wondering if you have some time to answer this question on budgeting. And they'd email me five questions and I'd respond to them right away. You know, they're under deadlines. And if you're showing that you're available and accessible, they're going to be more likely to come back to you the next time. So that's one of the things that's been so helpful is really building those relationships.
1: This all falls under the category of hustle. And if you read the online course, kool-aid you know everybody's going to advise you against that right because you should be early automating yourself out of all this process blah 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 and the truth is is that you don't have any customers yet. you don't have a business that you should be interacting with these people they're going to eventually pay for your lifestyle so tell me how people go from like finding out about you to on their website to paying you money like what's the process because it's very easy you make it very easy on people
2: so the big thing for me was If you look at most financial planners' websites, you cannot set up a perspective call online, which as a millennial is ridiculous. I want to be able to go to your website and see what your services are and click on your calendar and schedule a call when it works for me. And so I was wasting about five hours a week emailing back and forth with potential clients for the first six months of my business before I talked to another financial planner friend of mine that was in my mastermind group and said, what are you using to make this easier? And he said, schedule once. And it's like 19 or 20 bucks a month, integrates with your website, integrates with your Google calendar. That was a huge eye-opener for me because I was saving myself five hours a week of my time just by making it easy for my potential clients to sign up for a call.
1: So I got a good job at Google and I want to make sure that I'm taking advantage of my income and my benefits. So I find myself to your website and I'm like, whoa, free phone call. I'll take it. Right. So what do you do when you get me on the phone?
2: So I really try to figure out a little background. I ask a few questions when you schedule your call about your income, your debt, your savings. Just want to get an idea of kind of what's going on in your current financial situation. And then trying to spot where are there holes? You know, where are there gaps in your situation? And what are you overlooking right now that I know that I can plug in and help you with? So a lot of times if people have kids, it's have you done any estate planning? How much life insurance do you have in place? For a lot of young people that have student loans, it's what what's your plan for your student loans? And that's one of the big things that they want help with. A lot of times people are saying, hey, I have this great company benefits package and no idea how to read it.
1: So am I answering all this stuff before I get on the phone with you? So you're helping to structure this information in my head, like basically, wow, there's all these things that she can help me with.
2: So you're giving me a little bit of information up front, like debt, savings, income. And then on the phone is where I'm really starting to dive deep and get an idea of kind of picking apart your current situation and see if you're a good fit for becoming an ongoing client.
0: Okay, so here's where I started to get worried. And tell me how you solve this problem because this is the same thing that my lawyer does, right? And I feel like the more information that I give that guy, the more he's going to charge me because the more problems he's going to find. So uh, do (laughs) do your clients feel this way? How have you structured it? And I want you to get into what your product looks like now, but how have you structured it so I don't have to worry that I'm exposing too many problems for you to fix, basically?
2: Right, so I charge an initial planning fee. So that's a one-time upfront setup fee. And it's usually around $1,500- $2,000. Two thousand dollars, and then I charge a monthly subscription after that. So basically, in the first few months, we're doing a ton of data gather. I share a Dropbox folder with you. You upload all your statements, fill out an online questionnaire. You know, sign an electronic client contract, pay an invoice online. You know, I try to make it as easy as possible.
1: They know all that before, like they can look at your price schedule on the website. Yeah, you have three places they can go. They can go to be a client. They can go to your one-off planning session, which is five hundred, right?
2: Yeah. So I have when I initially. Launch I launched with my financial accountability program, which is my ongoing service. So pay an upfront planning fee and then we work together throughout the year. You get check-in meetings every six months, but you have unlimited email support. So as things in your situation change, email me. Let's connect, let's update things as we go. But what was happening is people were coming to me saying, Hey Sophia, I really want to work with you, but I'm really stressed out about my student loans, or I have You know some credit card debt, but I just got this great new job and I need help signing up for my 401k. And so what I started doing was offering a new service my second year in business. So now 2014 hits and I say I have to offer a new service and I'm going to call it my Quick Start session. And it's a one time 90 minute call. We dive deep in two to three topics and then I shoot you an email with recommendations afterwards because I realized I was missing out on one or two of those a month or three of those a month and that could been another 10 grand in income that I could be making
1: just to do the math now for looking back to the 10 true clients model each of your clients on an annual basis is worth about $4,000 assuming is there any back end stuff on top of that $4,000 so you can immediately see how this is very powerful you only need 10 relationships like that and all of a sudden you have $40,000 in annual sales as a baseline are there any back ends number one and number two what happens to me if I get on the phone and you know I'm just wasting your time where do you send me What percentage of people goes into each bundle too? Give us like kind of an average month. Like how many leads would you get and where do they go?
2: So we get quite a few leads. The hard thing is not a ton of them are qualified leads, right? So some people are just at that stage where maybe they have a lot of credit problems and they really need to clean up their credit first before they start working with an ongoing financial planner. So then I might recommend something like the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. It's nfcc.org where they can really work on that first before they're working with somebody. Other people are really good fit. but maybe aren't quite ready to make that leap. So a lot of times, you know, what happens is we have a great call and usually they need to talk to their significant other first. So talk to the wife and then she wants to talk to the hubby and then maybe the hubby wants to talk to me and then they sign up. One of the things I'm working on this year, and I should thank Jamie Tardy for this because I'm in her Millionaire Hustler program right now, is that I need to get better at tracking all of this stuff. So I'm getting quite a few leads I probably talk to about 10 prospective clients a month, 10 to 15 a month that are interested in becoming clients that I do the free half hour strategy session with, but only probably two on average a month are becoming clients, two to three on average.
0: Yeah, that's a difficult position to be in, right? Because you've got all these incoming leads and you don't exactly have a product for them to go into, but you get enough of these calls and you say, look, all I want to do is work on my credit card debt. And that's kind of, it sounds like how you came up with that program, right? And so you get enough of these things and you're turning away 80% of the people. The other 20% you're converting into products that you already have. And then down the line, you create another product and then maybe you outreach back to those people and say, hey, I need you to come back into this program that I've got now. So it's interesting because you're turning away so much business. And I think that's contrary to what a lot of people think is in the beginning you do and you take on everything that you can get. Dan, you remember in our business when we first started, we were doing custom designs for people and it's like, we'll do anything for you. And so it's a really bad business to be in. And so it's great that, you know, you can identify, like you said, 10 people that you want to do business with. They're very high value clients. And then you kind of turn everybody away. And this goes exactly against the advice that these other financial planners were giving you too, which is like, you got to take everybody because the way you're going to get your money is by taking 2% off all these people. And you're, you're flipping that on its head. And I think
1: that's really nice. I'm just dying to get on the mic over here. I can't help it. I can't. For those of you who don't see this, we have this audio setup where Ian and I are sharing. And Sophia's got her (laughs) Prince Mike over there. And here's the good news, because I know where this goes. I know what happens to the gentleman that you sent to the National Credit Association. He's not forgetting about you. And he smells like a 100 true customer to me. And the cool thing is, is that now you have the cash flow to invest in building that course. So 100 true customers would be, say, people who are doing $500 to $1,000 with you annually. Right. And you can build something that those people can train them essentially to be that ideal client. And all of a sudden your 10 true client rates are going way up because you're only dealing with the best client profile at that point. So this is how this model works. It's kind of like you flip it upside down rather than saying, I need to get tons and tons and tons of traffic. It's like, no, no, I just need to get 10 people that I understand really well and they're gonna feed me the rest, the money, the traffic, and the product ideas.
2: Right, and I feel like now my idea for building out a course on millennials and money will be so much more useful to those people because of the clients that I've worked with one-on-one that the same questions keep coming up that I know what to incorporate into the course, which I might not have known that you know two years ago when I first started I had an idea of what people wanted but now I've actually experienced it right so that's going to make me build out a better product for those people that are saying hey Sophia I'm interested in working with you but I just can't invest in your ongoing services right now but I'd love to do the course
1: it also lends the course that real authority like hey I was talking to Suzanne about this just six months ago. And this is important because the problems that she has are shared amongst your clients. So that to me is important. So let's just take a step back, though, before we talk about, you know, where this goes in the future. You've been in business since May 2013. Yep. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the first year. Tell us about the second year. Tell us about this year.
2: Sure. So I hustle (laughs) and I didn't like the idea that people kept telling me things like, oh, it takes three years to break even as a small business owner or
0: like us. (laughs) Thousand day principle.
2: Yeah. I didn't have time for that shit.
0: (laughs) You go.
2: So I needed to figure out how I was going to become profitable pretty quickly. Let's see, my first six months in business, I grossed about like 18 to 20,000. And then I had a bunch of expenses my first year because there was a lot of like legal compliance costs to setting up a financial planning firm.
0: Okay, so you were living with family to save expenses, but that's that's a good year, your first year out of the gate, right?
2: Right, and I was just really excited because I could say yes to some side projects too. So I was doing financial writing and getting paid for it. And that was basically me getting paid for free advertising for my website and links back to my website that people would see and hopefully become prospective clients and then clients, right?
0: Yeah. Brilliant.
2: So that's what I did my first year. And then my second year was 2014. That was my first full year in business. And I grossed $65,000. And for me, that was thrilling because my last full-time job, I was making $55,000 a year with up to a 10% bonus, right? So my goal was just to make more money that first year than I was making at my last job. And the job that I had been working at full time, I was working an average of 60 hours a week. Last year, I worked an average of 30 hours a week and was no longer living for my two weeks of paid vacation. I got to travel more, go to a bunch of great conferences that I wanted to go to. And I was starting to get asked to speak at conferences. Then I didn't have to pay for as many of the conferences that I wanted to go to, right?
0: Okay, so this year you think you'll do well over six figures, which is pretty impressive. One of the things that we started to talk about yesterday at lunch is your team. So I think one of the objections to your Business here, and one that I had yesterday, and that you quickly shut down, which is, well, this business seems to depend on a lot of on your skill set, your knowledge, and you. And you said no, Ian, you're wrong. I've got a team. I've been listening to the podcast more than you think. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what your team looks like, and we can start to segue into the future here. But you've got some plans to kind of take yourself out of this business. What does that look like?
2: Yeah. So the first thing is, I only hire rock stars. So I think that it's so important to hire really good. People. And if you hire really good people and pay them a little bit more, you don't need them for as many hours per week is what I learned. And so I had a financial blogger reach out to me and say, hey, I've been following your newsletter for a long time and I really like what you're doing. I'm a freelance writer and editor and content manager and love social media and you seem really busy. (laughs) Do you need any help? And this was just so perfect and so I ended up, I hired Kaylee to join my team as my content manager and she started helping me with writing, editing, content management, blogging, because then I had my first 10 clients, right? So all of a sudden I had client work to do. I couldn't spend all my time writing and talking to the press and doing interviews and all of that. And so she was so helpful. And first thing I passed off to her was my newsletter and then helping me with editing blog posts. And then we would co-write a lot of blog posts. And then the other thing was bookkeeping. So this is such a basic thing, but for anybody out there that's starting their own business, like hire a bookkeeper, at least to set up your initial books, because I had to pay somebody six months after the fact to clean up my books. And that's not fun. And that's a couple, you know, I use her four or five hours a week. It's 100 to 150 bucks a month. So worth it. And then I just hired a virtual marketing assistant to help Kaylee. So I want to bring Kaylee to do more of the big picture marketing strategy stuff around what if we do a course? What does that look like? And then I can have Sarah do social media and all of that.
1: There's like these two dangers in these kind of productized service Tenshu clients models is that you spent a year and a half hustle, 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 hustle. And like for a whole annual, you're bringing in 64. Right? Right. Where are you living at the time? What city?
2: Minneapolis.
1: Okay, you're living in a city, and all of a sudden, that's like a lot of people live on 64. I'm sure a lot of your clients live on 64, and you're faced with this prospect of, well, you know, maybe I can't go on a trip, or maybe I can't upgrade my wardrobe because half of it has to go out to believing in this asset, right? Right. The other element that's terrifying here is, okay, so you build it around you. Now you got to sneak out the back door while the party's still going. So what's your plan for getting out of this business and how do you see the future of that?
2: Yeah, so that's why I hired Megan. So I hired another CFP to help me prep for client meetings, do my financial plans, help me prep for upcoming client meetings by reviewing the client notes, reviewing the old financial plan, prepping emails for me. And so she works for me another five to 10 hours per week. And I would love to build out a team of CFPs that are working for Gen Y Planning. And that's why I called it Gen Y Planning and not Sophia Barra's awesome financial planning company. And I say that because if you're like a lot of people in financial planning, like name companies after themselves, right? And then what happens when you're trying to transition that to a team? So anyway, I love the client facing work. I love clients. And so I still wanna work with a lot of my clients, But I would love to have people that can do prospective client calls, no matter where I am in the world, that they're still talking to potential clients, that they're bringing on clients of their own under the Gen Y brand. And then I'm taking a percentage of that revenue because, you know, I'm out there generating more press. I'm out there getting more speaking gigs and that's driving more leads to Gen Y planning. But then I have a team of people in place to be able to really, you know, work with those young clients that are wanting to have a unique client experience that's, you know, really focused on what's going on in your financial situation, what are your goals and values, and using that information to help my clients live great
0: lives. So Sophia, I think that this is super compelling stuff, and I hope that people are getting actionable items from this. Tell me a little bit about, in the pre-interview, you said something very interesting, which was a lot of your clients are first generation. Do you know why that is and how that become to be?
2: Yeah, so a lot of my clients are busy young professionals that, are really worldly and so a lot of them are immigrants and first generation and it's not weird for them to Skype with their financial planner because they Skype with their family back home halfway around the world or they Skype with their friends from college that are all in different states and so it was very natural for them to have a financial planning meeting over Skype where that was a huge barrier for a lot of older, more traditional clients and older planners that told me, well, people aren't going to want to work with you over Skype. You need to have an office. They need to shake your hand. You need to work face to face.
1: You need a blue power suit. I've learned this in business time and time again. It's like the most weird things about you are precisely the things that are going to draw others to you. Like, I'm sure I can just imagine a financial planner at like the Vegas sort of conference, like freaking out about this plan. You know, like that's terrible. You, you're you going to live in different countries. Right. You can't live like that. And, and that's precisely what your clients are attracted to to.
2: Yeah. They love that I can work from anywhere because if I have a speaking gig in San Diego and I decide to hang out in San Diego for the month before my speaking gig, I can still have a client meeting with them in New York over Skype, even though they're in New York, because we usually Skype when I'm in Minneapolis. So it doesn't matter where I am.
0: So, you know, what the most exciting part for me is if I'm your client is I don't have to pay your overhead for your Manhattan office. I'm like super pumped that you're on Skype, like at the beach in Thailand somewhere, because I'm not worried about all that mahogany you got behind your desk, you know, exactly. that.
2: And the other thing that's really interesting is that I think it's actually a more intimate experience for my clients because I get to see them in their homes. Like I've met so many people's babies and puppies and whatnot over Skype. I'm meeting my client where they're comfortable. I'm coming to them. And I think that's something that as quote unquote professionals, we don't think about very much like how uncomfortable it is to like go to somebody's office and have to look nice and have to get a sitter or have to take a half day off of work and drive a half hour downtown to this like big stuffy office and figure out parking. And, you know, that's really inconvenient. And if I can make it more convenient for you to work with me by just having a meeting at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night, let's do that over Skype.
1: So you charge $500 for a phone call in some cases. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, okay, 10 true clients, I've got a professional skill set. I want to take it outside of the stuffy office, fly my freak flag and go solo and go location independent. But how do I charge 500 bucks for a phone call? And how do I bring on clients for $2,000 onboarding sessions? I mean, that's a big ask for these people that you care about. And so how do you do that in a way that makes them happy and that they got on that call with you?
2: Yeah. So I think in the perspective call, I really try to find a common bond, that commonality. And usually it's that we're world travelers, we're busy young professionals. We want somebody that's going to help us, you know, save us time or save us money and also filling in the knowledge gap too. So a lot of my clients have MBAs, super well-educated law degrees and whatnot, but you know, they were kind of doing fine up until this point, but their lives became really complicated. And so they want somebody on their team to help them navigate through all of this complicated, you know, company benefits and their 401k plan and figuring out, can I buy or can I rent? How much home can I afford? And all of these things that they don't know who to go to to ask. And so they're just really excited to have somebody on their team that's a professional, that's not, you know, a family member, that's not trying to sell them something like they're not just the real estate agent that's talking to them about buying the house that we can really sit down and run numbers about their specific situation and help give them peace of mind and then let them focus on their family let them focus on their career so it's this
1: idea if i give you 500 bucks you take care of my problem
2: yeah and we really solve those things that are top of mind right so in the quick start session which is the one for 499 it's what are those two or three things that are just like bothering you that you really want a cfp to talk to you with them so a lot of times it's student loans what do i do about my student loans or can you help me sign up for my 401k plan absolutely. Let's hop on Skype, let's do a screen share, and we'll choose the funds right on the call. So you'll check that off the list before we're even done with our conversation.
1: So the big problem that a lot of our listeners are thinking, okay, how can I implement this? So maybe you could warp yourself back to 2013. What are some things that you wish you would have known about this journey that maybe you could let other people know about? What's ahead on this road of following this business model?
2: I think it's easier to be profitable earlier on with a service-based business rather than with a product because you need fewer people to be able to really make a decent income at this earlier on. And so I would really encourage people to consider taking these professional businesses, you know, people are CPAs, they're CFPs, maybe they're life coaches, business coaches, those types of businesses, I think can do really well by bringing those businesses online because there's people, I have a CPA that's virtual that I refer a ton of my clients to because it's so easy, right? My clients are already working with me virtually. They don't mind that my CPA is in Florida. And I think that a lot of people really need to think about how can they make it more convenient? How can they make it more actionable for their potential clients? How can they make their clients' lives easier by working with them? For a lot of people, I think that, you know, it's saving them time and it's breaking things down into actionable steps instead of just feeling, you know, oh, Overwhelmed by these complicated things.
0: I love it. You asked Sophia what she would change about her early days, and she says, no, what should everybody else change about their approach? I got this thing down. This is good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can touch on that as well, too.
0: No, I think it's good. I think, you know, your advice for other people out there in turning these other old school service-based businesses into these new type of businesses like CPAs, certified financial planners, that's great advice. And I think that we're going to see that in the future. It's just a matter of time. And I think maybe you should... Maybe you should hold that conference. Maybe you should hold old school businesses turned online. It, it's definitely what Dan and I had success with, right? In the manufacturing industry, we took old school businesses and we had a new approach to it and we were very successful at it. So I think that your approach is right, especially because we did it too.
2: <laughs> well, what's really fun is now there's a bunch of other young financial planners like myself that are part of this network called the XY Planning Network and we're doing our first conference this year and there's going to be about 100 of us going to that. There's you know a bunch of us out there now that are are using a monthly subscription model to work with younger clients and so now we're not off on an island anymore just feeling like is anybody else doing something like this we can actually have forums communicate with each other and you know go to conferences meet each other and and connect
1: all right so you're a four-year tropical mba podcast listener sure i am I want to know what's your favorite episode and what are two things that we could do to make it a better experience for you in the future.
2: You can interview more kick-ass women. Because I heard Alyssa on, who's a friend of mine, who I adore, Alyssa Doucette, so I have to give her a shout out. What up, Alyssa? Yeah, because I think that there's a lot of cool women doing interesting things that don't identify as entrepreneurs.
1: Right. That's such an interesting point to me. You're saying that they're more likely to self-identify as...
2: I'm a small business owner. You know, I'm an online coach. I'm, you know, doing these things that are entrepreneurial things, but they feel like I have to be hitting six figures before I can call myself an entrepreneur or I have to have a 100 clients before I can call myself an entrepreneur. How can we find those other awesome women to bring on the show would be really cool. But my favorite episodes are when You know, you had Shana on recently from Espresso English. She was fabulous because she talked about building her courses. And I thought that that was so interesting that she really shared what she felt were her failures and how she kept going. And so I love it when you guys bring on people that talk about, hey, this is my business Here's how I'm doing now. But here are some things I learned. It, it didn't all start out roses. You know, it started out, I, I started out with zero clients. Everybody asked, oh, well, did you get to, you know, take clients with you from your last firm? No, I couldn't. I had to do not compete. I had to start with Zero. Zero dollars, zero assets, zero clients, zero revenue. And so I think that her story was really compelling to me because she talked about how when she first launched her course, she had 17 people sign up. And then the next one was 23. And then the next one, and now she's crushing. And she has like 45,000 newsletter subscribers. And she'll just like casually be like, oh yeah, now my newsletter list is like 45,000. Like it's not a big deal. And that's awesome. Like that's huge. (laughs) So to me, it's really inspiring when you guys interview people, have other people on that are just doing cool, interesting things around the world.
1: I think we accomplished that today. I'm going to pat myself on the back right now. <laughs> Woo-hoo. I love that piece of feedback. You know, we've been thinking a lot about that. It just so happened that three out of the nine speakers at DCBCN were women. And we had a woman on the show this week. We're on a roll. But I also think I would appreciate referrals too. So if anybody out there in the audience knows someone that would be a great Tropical MBA guest, kick us an email. We got contact options at the blog or drop us a comment, tropicalmba.com slash 10 true clients. Okay, let me stop collaborate and whatever (laughs) listen i think this is the end of the episode nobody's listening right now everybody's turned this off this is the garbage time we're winning by 25. This is when we generally pay rap songs. Put a number 13 on the bench. Let him get some reps. Let them get some J's in at the end of the fourth. What are you up to, man?
0: I'm um, hanging out with you here in Barcelona for the next couple weeks. And then I'm going over to Greece, which I guess is maybe going to default. So I'm trying to decide how many euros to take out before I go over there. What's going to happen there? <laughs> My general idea is to hang out in Europe until September. So yeah, what about you?
1: You know, I don't know. I absolutely love Barcelona. One thing I'm going to be doing is I'm going to get Spanish residency. And the reason is, is at the end of 2013, and I read this in the New York Times, there was an entrepreneur, a woman from San Francisco, who was kind of, the storyline went, she was sick of the startup hype, wanted to live a new life, a location independent life, came here to Spain on something called the entrepreneur visa. There was a speaker at our event that we invited all the way from Brazil, and she came, which was amazing. Her name's Marissa, and she gave a presentation about how people that don't have EU passports can come and live in the EU indefinitely, and that just really excited me because okay you get spanish residency but you also get access to the whole eu which is a really exciting prospect remember like part of the reason that a lot of us in the location independent movement went to places like southeast asia is that it's just practical and maybe we weren't located in europe because it was impractical hopefully programs like this will start popping up nations around the world that, you know, will allow location-independent entrepreneurs to live in some new exotic locations?
0: Yeah, I think these governments might be starting to wise up a little bit. You know, there's the Spanish visa thing. We're talking with Clayton. He got something through Hungary. I don't know the details exactly of that. I know of another few people that have gotten a similar situation through the Netherlands. So I think that opportunities are kind of cropping up for us Americans to spend more than three on, three off in Europe. And, and the deal with the Spanish visa is basically that you have to start a company here. So they're looking for ways to stimulate the economy. And I think that that makes a
1: lot of sense. Yeah. So I'm going to become a Spanish business owner. That's what's interesting. <laughs> You're going to learn the language. I'll tell you the biggest thing that I'm working on right now is DCBKK, because I'm kind of on that. We got the surveys back from everybody who came out here to Barcelona, took a chance on us, our first European event since 2013. The feedback was amazing, detailed, you know, DCers, right? They just go into depth. Sophia gave us a half an hour's worth of free consulting after this interview today about how we could make our events better and that's what we've been doing with our whole team is like the cool thing about dcbkk this year is we know our venue we know where it's going to be we got our cost structure lined up more or less so now all of our energy can go into programming and connecting the members so
0: yeah you know it takes a long time to get this stuff down. We've been doing it for like two or three years now and we're, we should listen to more of our own podcasts. I think that that's the, the bottom line here is that we should take a little bit more of our own advice. Like, why didn't I hear about this lady that was presenting on Spanish Visas two days before the event? Like, why is it we're working on it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't be so hard on yourself, boss man. Enjoy your Euro vacation. Uh, your parents are coming. You're going to take them around, yeah?
0: Yeah, it's going to be a good
1: time. So uh, do some walking tours and be a tourist. All right. So if you have a comment on uh, anything we're talking about, tropicalmba.com